0: DJ and PK, it's time to talk college football with Utah State coach Gary Anderson. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Gary, good morning.
1: Good morning, guys. How are we doing?
0: Uh, we're doing well. We're about to hit you with questions about players transferring coming and going. Uh, about schedule changing on the fly, games gone, what games might replace them, if any, will you play in the spring, and uh, questions about, you know, planning for a pandemic and all kinds of, you know, health stuff you're going to have to do with the players. Before we hit you with this tsunami of questions here, what in your life prepared you to be a head football coach over the last four months?
1: what in my life prepared me to be a football coach uh, i'll tell you what to be uh uh i don't know i don't know if anything prepared me to do this other than you know be uh understanding be flexible um it's not easy for for coaches to um, you know, have so many curveballs come at you, but I, I think we always tell the kids, and I've learned this as a player, and I've learned this in my coaching career, is You have to be flexible, more, regardless of what takes place. You know, I mean, there's there's ups and downs. There's weather during games that take place. There's games plans. There's things that change. Um, you know, there's there's players you deal with where a lot of different situations happen. So learning to be flexible, um, accepting it and understanding it and don't uh, there's no need to complain about what's going on, where you're at Um, and I think probably the biggest thing is to remember as I think about that question is to remember that we are as coaches, we are educators and we are leaders and we need to make sure that we educate and we lead um, through these times to be able to help kids be you know, prepare them, get better, and be better at where they're at, and, and keep them in the moment, so they can uh, understand what we know. Um, be upfront with them, and uh, so they continue to move forward as young men. Because this is difficult, very, very difficult for the kids as they uh, deal with all the unknowns.
2: What are you allowed to say by NCA rule as far as these transfers coming and going? Can you name them? Can you talk about them?
1: The guys that are here, yeah, we talk about, uh, you know, Jason and uh, McGriff, Marcus Moore, those kids that have come in and been with us, CJ Pollard. Um, You know, the the, the biggest thing I would say about the transfers for us is, you know, we're we're excited about each one of those young men that are with us. you look at what the transfers did for us last year, and uh, you know, Coc Nick and Caleb came in here, and you know, when they they came here from Utah, it's a it's a program that obviously I'm very familiar with. I have great respect for um, the program as a whole, the coaches that are there, how they're coached, what they're expected to do in the weight room. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, um, and that is always part of it when you when you get a transfer as far as fitting our culture here at Utah State. And so when they come from Utah. Um, you know, there's not a lot of curveballs when they walk into to our uh, expectations of our program. It's it's very very comfortable for them understanding what we expect the kids to do on the field and off the field. So, if we can get a young man from uh, Utah that's been in that program that we think fits us and is a very good player, then you know we're kind of we're very excited about that. And the other transfers that come in from other places is you know our ability to be able to reach out and understand who they are and then we recruit them um, with the opportunity and the expectation level as they come in and they're a major contributor if we're taking a, a transfer, whether he has one year left or like Jason who has two years left, uh, we expect them to walk in and be a major contributor. Now they have to earn that, um, but the expectations are that they, they are much like when we used to recruit um, the JC kids, which we still recruit the junior college kids, not as much because of the transfer program right now, but uh, uh, that's the expectations of the kids to come in and play.
0: Everybody wants quarterback depth, and most quarterbacks do not want to provide depth. They want to be the starter. Do you have enough quarterback depth right now?
1: Yeah, our goal is to have four quarterbacks on scholarship and at least one young man as a walk-on, and that's where we'll walk into camp when we start camp here. you know, next week, uh, we'll have that exact depth. And we're, you know, we're young, we have three freshmen, and then we have Jason, who's a junior. And, but, uh, you know, Andrew's been in this program for a number of years. And with the injury, it allowed him to be a freshman again. But he's not a freshman by, you know, by experience. Um, has he been uh, the second team quarterback in, uh, in start, will fight for a competing job, uh, starting job, excuse me, with Jordan here? No, he hasn't done that. But I'll tell you this, he's done a tremendous job of preparing himself to get into a moment to be able to fight. He's He understands that Jason's here for a reason. Jason wants to play. Andrew wants to play. uh, Cooper Lagarde wants to play. And Josh Calvin wants to play. So, you know, the the opportunities are there for those kids. We feel good about those numbers. And on paper, it's exactly where we like to sit. Um, You know, it looks a little different with three freshmen. But like I said before, Andrew's been here for a number of years.
2: So in your quarterback situation, did Henry leave and then you accepted Jason? Or did Jason come because he knew Henry was leaving?
1: no Henry was Henry was here um, when we went through that process and you know it was uh, I thought Bodie and uh, Bodie reader offensive coordinator has always done a, a really good job of educating and communicating with the kids and the bottom line is Jason was available um, Jason had many opportunities Jason could have played in a lot of different places in this country and uh, you know from the get-go he had interest in us it took a long time um, for Jason and his family uh, the NCA to work all those things out to make sure that he had immediate eligibility because that was really Important for Jason to come to Utah State or to a, you know, a, a, a program where you know it's not he's not going to be immediately eligible. That wasn't really enticing to Jason, and I completely understand that. So the timing was the timing. How the timing came out was simply because. Uh, you know, Jason became eligible. Um, And, you know, we had gone after another quarterback that was a transfer quarterback also. It started back in May. Our quarterbacks were very aware of that situation when it was taking place, and we lost that that quarterback uh, recruiting battle at that point. Jason was not on the radar at that point, but uh, our quarterbacks were aware that if there was a transfer quarterback that came up way back in May, um, they were aware of the young man that uh, we were recruiting at that point. Uh, They knew who he was, where he was at, and They knew that he landed at a different place than Utah State. So there wasn't any real surprises when um, Jason walked in here and we took a transfer quarterback. That shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody.
0: So when you talk about transfers and recruiting, you know, recruiting has meant one thing for decades. What percentage of your time recruiting now are you spending on the traditional high school and to lesser extent junior college kids, and what percentage do you spend checking the transfer window if not every week, every day, possibly, to see who's
1: available there well, we obviously we focus in state at the state of Utah first, and that just a a, a side note on for Utah for this year and the missionary program, which is two huge parts of, of our recruiting ideas and our beliefs is it's been really the coronavirus has has thrown a real curveball in that for this year's class and quite frankly next year's class because we had a number of missionaries that um you know some didn't go back out some decided not to go some went back out and it really threw a major curveball um in our recruiting cycle for, quite frankly, this season and for next season because our numbers got tweaked. We had kids that had signed scholarships that went on, a, on missions and decided not to go back and what have you. Um, so that's been, that has been a very, very, very tangled web to, to weave our, par- our parents. Our young men in the program, that and some that are not in the program yet, have been absolutely fantastic of understanding um, and uh, just putting the pieces to the puzzle there and understanding, hey, this is where we're at, what the situation is, and we have one young man that you know signed with us. The best opportunity for him is to come in January now instead of coming um, right now in August, and uh, he's been fantastic. His family and his coach have been fantastic. So, uh, spending up time in recruiting, you know, we we always look at the portal, of recruiting guys. It's their job to look at that portal, but basically every single day and you know we don't ever, we don't ever believe in stop recruiting it's even this close to the season if we have an opportunity if we have a spot we're going to continually work to to bring the best players that we can into this program and we deserve we we uh, the kids in the program deserve that Aggie Nation deserves that and sometimes that seems a little strange how we turn around and we keep recruiting all year long but we have that ability because of our beliefs within the state of Utah uh, with our mission program, with the Polynesian, Polynesian culture on our team and how we recruit nationally. I think that we, we have an opportunity to continue to continue to uh, recruit year round and, and our administration um, gives us a tremendous opportunity to get the right kids in here if they have the proper GPA and they fit the uh, you know, who we are as a program, and they fit the Cache Valley and Utah State as a whole. So uh, it's always the same deal. It's uh, high school first, and uh, transfers and J.C. are kind of the same. You know, we've got uh, a couple J.C. guys this year we expect to to uh, play for us, but I would say that the high school kids um, is, is always the number one priority. But if you take a transfer, again, you're taking a transfer to come in and play. And if he doesn't come in and be a major contributor, then – We've made a mistake as coaches. The kid made a mistake on coming here. Um, And the recruiting guys made a mistake on on allowing him to uh, be recruited by us. So they have to come in and have an opportunity. It's not 100%, but that's our expectations. And that's the young men's expectations also.
2: So I have no idea how this transfer waiver works. I was wondering if you can shed a little insight. You get a kid like Jason Shelley who gets immediately eligible. Cam Rising had to sit out. Take us through how this stuff works, please. (laughs)
1: I I don't know exactly how the whole thing works as they go through, but every case is looked at and it's examined different, um, you know, the ins and the outs as far as what Jason went through, I don't know that. I don't stick my nose in there. I know I'll tell you this. When when a kid does want to transfer, um, he has to basically be supported by a school. In other words, they have to be able to help the family submit the information. This is my understanding. So I could be a, a little wrong here, but if I'm wrong, I'm telling you what I believe is right. Um, but that's my understanding is, so when Jason said, okay, yes, I would I would like to be able to have an opportunity to um, see at the NCAA give him my year back then he has to be supported by Utah State and uh, you know, Jake Garlock and uh, does a tremendous job. Our compliance guy of uh, of helping them through the process, but at the end, it's the the parents and the NCAA, the young men in the NCAA that present the case, and the NCAA comes back with their decision. And that takes a long time. Um, and it did in, in Jason's case. It took uh, it took a while to be able to get that done. That's why the timing was so late for us. And um, I, I couldn't tell you the exact timing when Jason all of a sudden decided that uh, you know he didn't want to play safety. Um, but I thought it was awesome the way that Utah gave him an opportunity to. Let him know what was going on. And I know Jason is very, um, you know, uh, grateful that that communication took place. Um, I'm sure that was through Kyle, obviously, and it was through Andy. And um, it seemed to be, it gave him a chance and an opportunity to be where he is today and to be able to make a decision. And I think that's a class act by Utah.
0: Take me through it, please. That was pretty good sarcasm, wasn't it, Gary? I mean, that was... Well, PK's throwing a lot of sarcasm out over the years, but the way he ended that last question, I thought that was some of his better work. And you giggled, so I think you thought it was too. What? Take me through that, please. The whole transfer process. (laughs) No one can take anyone through that. Nobody really knows how it works. (laughs) Head football coaches can, yeah. So here's another thing you probably don't know how it works. Uh, You're supposed to play Washington and Washington State. The Pac-12 is going to play conference games only. Are the Aggies going to play a 10-game schedule? Are you going to plug somebody else in there? Will it be 11? Will it be 12? Will it be big sky teams? <laughs> Will you play I'll the Big 12. Exactly where
1: I sit right now on this whole thing is, you know, we have been given um, multiple dates and times when, okay, we're going to know something this week, and then we're going to know something next week, and that's highly, highly frustrating for myself, um, for everybody involved, for the team, uh, for each one of these kids. And so what we've been able to do is we've come up with uh, now where we sit. Um, we're, we're, going to, we're going to go to camp, and right now we're anticipating playing. Um, and our first opponent right now, uh, on our schedule that's left would be Southern Utah. And if it builds off of there and we're able to play somebody else that next week, which would have been Washington, then if we can fill that, we will. But that guidance is going to come from our league. Um, you know, the commissioner, the league as a whole, and quite the whole landscape of what happens in college football. So what we're doing now is we're making a decision. That um, hey, we didn't get spring ball. So the minute and the second that we have an opportunity to open up and start camp, we're going to do that. And that's next. That's next week, Wednesday. Um, a piece of that is is it won't be a traditional camp for those first few days. That being said, we very rarely use every practice. In fact, we never use every practice that we could use. Um, by number as we prepare for camp um, but we will do that this year so it's not going to be kids get here at 6 o'clock at night and they leave at 9 o'clock at night a typical camp situation it will be much more modified really it's really what we're doing right now we'll wake up um, you know, have some meetings in the morning some walkthroughs we'll have a practice um, turn them away for a little bit let them get off their feet and then we'll come back in the afternoon for some meetings lifting recovery and a walkthrough, and then they'll go home for the evening we're going to do that Wednesday Thursday Friday Friday next week and it's not that much off of what we're doing right now other than we'll have a ball uh, that we can actually throw um, and we'll be able to do more you know have sleds and some things that we're not able to do right now so it'll be awesome to get to to that point with these kids
2: so we've seen some of these conferences obviously go with the conference only format and the Mountain West I don't know that the Greg Thompson has come out with a declaration uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but how is that going to work? Is that going to be involved? It's just university presidents making a decision? Do coaches have an input?
1: Well, I think, you know, Craig's done a great job of being on our calls. We have our conference calls sometimes every week, sometimes every other week as a group of coaches. And, um, you know, they've, they've really provided us the information that they can, that they know. I think they've been upfront. I think they've been extremely honest, and they've been frustrated like we have as far as getting answers. Um, so I don't know. There's discussions. You know, there's a lot, every discussion that seems to be going on on every team, other than the Pac-12 and obviously the Big Ten have made their decisions, and some other people said we're not going to play football. But as far as the people that haven't made decisions, we're kind of, it seems like we're right in the middle with, you know, how many games are you going to play? Um, is it going to be comfort? Conference only? Is it going to be eight conference games? Is it going to be eight conference games and then a couple other games? You know, there's, there's some big time rivalry games that take place within our conference. And you look at Colorado, Colorado State, you look at Utah, you look at BYU, Utah State, BYU. Um, you know, you look at the, uh, the, the Air Force Academy and you've got Navy in that situation. You've got Army in that situation. So, you know, that leads you to say, could we play 10 games and then play eight league games? I don't have those answers, but uh, you you like those rivalry games. But obviously, you want to get to a position to be able to fight for a conference championship, also. And you know, Boise. I was talking to Harson's even just as of yesterday, and they've got some, you know, some some. games that they'd like to be able to get into that they're playing and every team has that same situation so do we replace games do we play eight I have no idea again what I'm doing is getting into camp uh, doing what we're gonna we're off today we'll start tomorrow get through tomorrow and then uh, we'll look forward to starting camp up on Wednesday and see how that all looks but we're prepared to play we're prepared to move forward and I think our kids are doing a great job of uh, doing everything they can to protect themselves to stay healthy and you know we'll we'll see as we continue to move through this process what what takes place.
0: Over the course of your career you've seen several teams travel cross country and play you've been a part of that and I've heard you're not a big fan of that some people would think hey if you can get 12 games get 12 games but if 12 games involves flying across a big chunk of the country back east would you be opposed to that?
1: I would, not, I would not want to do that, um, and I think 12 games, this is just my opinion, and I don't think it's a very popular opinion, but I'm going to give you my opinion, is uh, if we're asking kids for what they've lost um, from a training standpoint, what they've lost in the weight room, what they've lost in their development, it's easy to say that, okay, we're in good shape and we can run and you know we can pass the gasser test and we can do all those things, but these kids have not played football, in our case, for a long, long time. Um, two days of spring ball, that doesn't count, right? That's that's next to nothing. And so they were not in football shape in spring football. Uh, last time they were in football shape is, you know, when we played the bowl game. And that is a long time. And I also put on top of that is, you know, you play a season where there's 12 games. And you look at every young man in your program, and they prepare, and the strength guys prepare them in the weight room for those 12 games, those 12 opportunities. And the coaches, you need to be smart how you practice and how you go about it. You will lose strength. Every player loses strength. If he doesn't, he's a special kid. Okay? Strength coaches are going to say, oh, they keep their strength. We're as strong as we were. No, they're not. And I don't think, I think that you're putting kids at an extra risk that doesn't need to be out there if you play 12 games this year. Um, I'm good with 8. I'm good with 10. But I don't agree with 12, especially if it's going to get pushed back a little bit. Um, for the safety of the kids, the way we've trained them, it's, uncon- it's, it's unconventional. I think 12 games would be too many. You know, Going and flying across the country, I, I would rather stay in our own region if we can for a lot of reasons. For fans, uh, for, for the young men in the program, uh, for parents to be able to see them. Most parents be able to see them. Sometimes you go back there and it gives parents opportunities. But you know that's my take on 12 games. I don't think that has a chance of happening. Um, just and a lot of that has to do with, I believe, that the trainers and um, coaches as a whole would really look at that and say, oh, it's nice to get the 12 games in, but is that really where we're at right now with uh, what these kids have gone through and the way we've been able to prepare them? Can you speak
2: on uh, Devontae Henry Cole or no?
1: Nope, cannot.
2: Well, all right. Well, then I'll move on to another question then. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jordan Love gets drafted by the Packers, and it became like the story because of Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers saying, uh, once I got the text that Love was the pick, I went to the pantry, I poured myself about four fingers of tequila I knew it was gonna be one of those nights where people started calling. So obviously it's somewhat of a controversial pick given that Aaron Rodgers is a superstar and all that and Jordan loves an up and comer. Have you had any conversations with Jordan about what to expect?
1: Is four fingers of tequila, is that like you put your fingers down, and you put it in the glass, it goes up to four fingers? I have no that, idea. That's, that'd be a that'd be a stiff drink, man. You'd have to ask okay. DJ.
0: I went to UC Santa Barbara I went to UC Santa Barbara and I've heard a lot of things and I've seen a lot of things and I have no comment on what I may or may not have done I will tell you right now I have no idea what that means Okay.
1: Uh, no. Well, no clue. That's, that's, that's three of us. So, all right. Maybe I'll ask Jordan to ask Aaron. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, um, I, You know, I have talked to Jordan just very little. He has he has a lot on his plate and uh, is going a lot of different directions. But when I've talked to him, I know he's been very excited about the opportunity. Um, he is. You know, there's a, there's obviously a lot of drama. I mean, I saw it again this morning on the treadmill that there's a lot of drama out there with all, all what's going on. Um, my. My best guess is, and from what I know of Jordan Love, is he is excited to go in and compete. I, I know he's extremely excited to learn from Aaron Rodgers um, and his and the coaches that are there with him. And he' gonna be a team guy. I guarantee you that he's not gonna get caught up in any drama, and it may be forced to, in his way, but it's not gonna it's not gonna derail his. Uh, ability to be able to stay focused and keep grinding and and learn um, and be excited to learn and be he's he knows he's extremely blessed to be in the spot that he is and he'll take advantage of it every day so um, it's 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 I hope it doesn't get he I hope it doesn't get caught up in too much drama for him in any way shape or form and you know Aaron Rodgers is a competitive guy and I'm, in my opinion he's he's got some years left in him which I think that'd be great for Jordan if uh, Aaron could play for a couple years and, and let uh, Jordan learn and get ready to go.
0: So you said you're uh, you're up for eight or ten games. Do you think that's really possible when you're in when you're in the high level meetings and you're hearing medical people talk? Is that really realistic, or are a bunch of football fans getting their hopes up too high, and that'll
1: really dial back? Well, I think right now is, is where you're sitting. Is this has gone on this far and it's gone on for the the amount of time that it has that it makes me believe that. Um, there is a chance. Now, I'm not making those decisions. Again, all I can do is go back, and at this point, when we're this deep into the calendar, um, you know, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would be saying, you know, it doesn't, doesn't look like we're going to play, but we're this deep, and there's that many. Power Five conferences have not made the decisions yet. Um, you know, people want to play. Um, I'm 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 encouraged with our team, just quite frankly, not speaking from too much medical information or what is out there. But I'm encouraged with where our team is today, with our ability to have the kids out of practice and um, you know how they're feeling as a whole and how they're taking care of themselves. So uh, I'm I'm optimi- optimistic that uh, we're going to play. I I think we will right now, um, and that's why we're going to go to camp. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't start them up next week wednesday and say hey we're going to start getting ready to play some football And so as long as they're going to let us go we're going to go um our trainers have been absolutely fantastic and i think our kids are really taking the responsibility of, of being as smart as they can and adjusting to to weird things i mean monday we walked out for the first time and you know they're out to it's not really a practice but it's more than we've done for a long time out on the field with coaches there and yeah, you know, everything's different um you know, you have masks on, and uh, it's harder to communicate. It's harder for them to be able to breathe when they start sweating. You know, we're adjusting as far as the, to to help them get what they need. It's a different style of coaching. You know, coaches are coaching different. You can't run around and high-five and jump and be around them. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to blow a whistle during practice, and I'm – 35, 40 yards away from the back of the football team and I'm back there all by myself. There's one whistle on the field and it's my whistle because uh, the rest of the coaches have to stay completely covered up the whole time and I need to be a long ways away from everybody if I'm going to blow that whistle. So that's very different for me and uh, but again, we've adjusted to it and day two was was much easier to deal with. It's like the first time you walked into the store with a mask on. That's awkward um, but it's not anymore for me anyway. It's, it's it's a way of life and that's where we're at. So we're going to play um, as is is our belief and I know this our our kids are excited and it's just nice to be able to give them a little bit of uh, guidance to be able to say okay this is where we think we're progressing right now and we're taking steps forward cuz they they want to they they want to play football right but they also want to play football if it's right but they want to play today they want to play they're excited about it again a day off and we'll take a step forward tomorrow and then we'll get to next week Wednesday and actually have a, a real ball that we can throw around out there do some fun things with
0: do they want to play badly enough that they will really cross the T's and dot the I's on their behavior in the hours they're away from the facility because there are a lot of things that are fun to do in college that they just can't do right now if they're going to want to play football they're going to end up, if you don't cross those T's and dot those I's you're going to end up like the Marlins with a lot of positive tests
1: and, and there's there's that, that's that big piece right? Um, and we have to be able to educate, and we, one of the big things in our program that we hit with all the time, and I don't think it's just our program, there's a lot of programs that talk about these things, but, you know, once you walk out of that door and the decisions that you're making are really going to tell who you're going to be when you graduate from college Um you know what? What? What is your degree? Uh, did you get the degree you wanted? Did you have the GPA that you wanted? Did you live your life the right way, making the right decisions? Uh, because they're, they're they're faced with decisions in college, and we're all faced with those decisions every single day that are good and bad. Um, so we challenge them to think about those decisions, think about their goals, and you know the the, key, the one of the things I tell them all the time is that the chief cause of failure is trading what you want most for what you want at the moment, um, and that's something that right now is going to be very applicable to those kids if they want football they better make the right decisions now are they all going to do that that's we, we all know that's going to be very very difficult but hey you know what we can police ourselves a little bit too as a football team and help us make those right decisions as we go through so we'll educate again we're teachers uh, and we want to be there to help them and let them understand this is what they have to do to have the best opportunity to be able to play those games and it may work out and it may not work out but gosh dang it we sure don't want to look back at the end of this thing and say oh, if we would have just Tried a little bit harder, educated the kids a little bit better. We may have given them an opportunity to play more football games because uh, I want this football team to play. I want our seniors to have an opportunity to be able to play um, and and play games that are meaningful. And so uh, we'll do our best. But uh, you know, you're like you said, there's a lot of distractions, and they're going to have to have to take some responsibility.
0: Thanks, Gary. We appreciate it.
1: Okay, guys, appreciate you very much. Have a wonderful day. Go Aggies, everybody. Be safe.
0: All right, thanks, Gary. Gary Anderson, Utah State football coach, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we'll put a bow on it next. Stay with us.
3: Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Jazz and the
0: Pelicans have discussed a plan to surround the Black Lives Matter signage on the Wide World of Sports Arena court and kneel together during the playing of the National Anthem on Thursday when they restart the NBA season. League officials are not expected to enforce a 1981 anthem policy that says players, coaches, and trainers are to stand and line up in a dignified posture along the sidelines or on the foul line. Houston Rockets guard Eric Gordon suffered a left ankle injury in the second quarter of Houston's scrimmage against the Boston Celtics last night. X-rays were negative. Reports say he could miss one to two weeks with what is believed to be a sprain, but more info is expected today. This back-to-basketball update is presented by Zions Bank. on ninety-seven five 97.5, 1280 The Zone of The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Welcome back,
3: welcome back, welcome back. It's been a long four months.
2: Welcome back. Oh, Donovan, don't do me like that.
3: But finally, the NBA is back. Back up and hammer. That is filthy, Rudy. Catch every second of every moment of Utah Jazz Basketball. As the Jazz resume play from the bubble in Orlando, your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz is right here on 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I think it's totally nuts. Belichick's not telling all of these guys, hey, you know what, Patrick Chung, Hightower, just shut it down. I just don't think Belichick is wired that way. I don't think football guys are wired that way. When I mentioned tanking to Bill Polian, I thought he was going to punch me. I think Bill is still wired to want to win every single game, win this division without Brady, to tank for a high quarterback draft pick when 50% of these guys flame out anyway, to just punt on an entire year in the NFL is so foreign to these guys.
0: That's Ryan Rossillo talking about the Patriots. Uh, is this an organized effort to tank the season, or the Patriots are just having a lot of guys opting out? Uh, Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, Brandon Bolden, Danny Vital, Marcus Cannon. That's uh, players all over the field, running back, fullback, tackle, linebacker, safety. Uh, it's a lot of guys opting out. They'll be taking a pay cut to do it, uh, but it's also within the rules. It's not. I know the Patriots cheating always raises an eyebrow when you hear that. What are they up to now? Deflate gate, taping practices, taping games, taping sidelines. But uh, the NFL has the rules this year. That if you want to opt out, and if you've got uh, you're considered high risk, uh, you get paid three hundred fifty grand. And if you opt out and you're not high risk, you still get paid one hundred and fifty grand. So all this within the rules, PK. And I think if the Patriots are tanking, they wouldn't have gone out and gotten Cam Newton. So. They're not tanking. I think this is just happening.
2: Why do I care what Bill Polian thinks? He's not running the
0: Patriots. (laughs) He's not running the Patriots anymore. Just an example of an executive who's highly competitive who would never tank.
2: Yeah, but he's not in the moment. Yep. One thing I've learned is you don't know what you're going to do unless you're in the moment.
0: I buy that. You might be much better than you think in the moment, and you might be really disappointed with yourself in the moment. You don't know what you're going to do until you're
2: in the moment. Well, that's where I would disagree with you, because I know in the moment I would be very much disappointed I knew myself. you were going to
0: say that about yourself. There's
2: no doubt in my mind.
0: <laughs> we just had Gary Anderson on, and I had not heard any coaches say they were opposed to 12 games and they were fine with 8 or 10. Gary just did, although my guess is uh, there are other coaches who think that. We just haven't heard him say it yet.
2: Well, I don't think that because of his dislike for wanting to travel around the country that they have opportunities to play that many. Because if the Pac-12 isn't playing non-conference games and you're already playing in the Mountain West, who's left to play if you don't want to travel? So they sort of go hand-in-hand there. Yeah, the one one thing I think... BYU home-and-home.
0: Yeah, the one thing I think you could do is you could do the, um, you know, just it's a 12-team league, play everybody in the league and start getting games back there. And maybe you keep one money game with the big sky, or like you say, a game, you have BYU who's an independent in the West. And other teams might be willing to travel. For other teams, it might not be as far to travel.
2: There's possibilities there, sure. But I also think the third thing I was going to say is he feels like the – conditioning and the physical shape of the players, that was lack his thereof, yeah. does not dictate or allow or in the best interests of the young man to play that many games.
0: The Pac-12 and the Big Ten didn't spell that particular no. point out, but you can also see where that could have influenced their thinking going to their 10-game conference seasons.
2: Yeah, right, exactly. I also think it's more about control. Uh, and because we don't have a commissioner in the sense right. that we have in the other sports, you basically, you're controlling your own. These are your folks. It's like your family, so to speak. So if you need to move it around, if you had a party and we're just a bunch of family were coming and you needed to move it a day, you know, mo- most likely it would be easier to do that type of thing. And it's just a basic analogy. So. I'm encouraged by what he's thinking. And if I'm a coach, I've been saying this all along. This is what coaches do. So I would expect him to say that. That's why I didn't get all upset when Gundy said what he said and, and Orgeron said what he said. And I know these media folk, as soon as somebody, a coach says it, all hell breaks loose. These kids are amateurs. Well, it's so predictable, their criticism. Give me something that I don't expect. And the next coach who says, man, we need to play football, there you go. The USA Today is going to write an opinion piece ripping the coach. What do you expect them to say? That's who these people are. And it's this time of year where their body clock and everything about them is screaming, get back to football.
0: Uh, We talked a little bit about baseball, the action on the field last night, the Dodgers and Astros, obviously the rematch of a World Series from a couple years ago. Obviously the Dodgers are mad at the Astros. It seems like all of baseball is mad at the Astros. But the Dodgers had something taken away from them. So you weren't really surprised when uh, Joe Kelly started uh, cutting loose and and throwing uh, pitches pretty close to people.
2: No, he did a couple of things there. He did that. And then he also uh, threw over to first base a bunch of times just so uh, Bregman would have to dive back and just try to take him out of it that way. And so, yeah, that, that's what happened. And then his, his walk off the mound with the baby expressions will live on in infamy. And the first time Joe Kelly, if he's still on the team, gets introduced at Chavez, he'll get a standing O.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: he spoke for a lot of Dodger fans who are mad about that World Series.
2: Mad is an understatement, yeah. yes. And thinking that I i was reading this morning, I read Plachki in the Times, and he said that he saw on social media that some people should give uh, – joe kelly a contract along the lines of mookie Betts, <laughs> and there was i saw a website i was looking on it uh so thing on the web during the one of the breaks and they had uh, the lip reading now you're an expert at that i can't do that but they had what was being said underneath they had it written out and just laughing, I was laughing at it, and Yock had heard me. He so, what are you laughing at? And that's what I was looking at, because it was hysterical. And that baby face that he made—I don't know that, that I've ever seen that. That was the best that. part of it. Yeah, I've never—I've never seen that. <laughs> well, you, like, saw you freaking crying whiny baby. Yeah, the quote, "Nice swing, bleep," was just classic. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: do you feel like it's over? Because I don't. No, <laughs> it's no, not over. No
2: because uh, who has an axe to grind and, and then uh and maybe it's not even an axe to grind, just feel like it's something that they need to do. And then you listen to Dave Roberts's uh comment, Yeah, you know, that that's a he had some control issues out there. I love when they do that. You know what I mean? They have to go through the dog and pony show, but they never say you're damn right. We were thrown at him because blah 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 blah. They, they don't, they'll never say that. Yeah, he had some control issues on that. Yeah, that pitch obviously got away. Like, no, it didn't get away. It was it was a purpose pitch. We know what it was.
0: And Kershaw was seen in the dugout jawing, to the guy whose uh, you know postseason rep is on the line, and a World Series would have done wonders for it after some of his early failures. So, of course, he was uh, he was letting it rip from the dugout. There's a lot to be said, but it was a classic baseball brawl. I was waiting for it, you know they're all out on the field and they just kind of melt around and then go back to the dugout. It's
2: not See, I don't think I don't think Houston wants that. Houston wants. I what? don't think they, I don't think they actually want a brawl. Now Dusty Baker, you know, we're going to take nothing and we're not going to back down blah blah blah. You know, that that's predictable. But I don't think that Houston wants to exasperate it. I think they'll do what they did, so you'll do the little come out on the field and fake tough guy and jaw a little bit, but I don't think Houston wants to go beyond that. You start going beyond that and suppose you hurt somebody on the other team. Now you got two reasons where teams are going to throw at you. So I think that they're just going to have to suck it up, take it, and you can go out and do what they did, but I don't think you'll see Houston guys charging the mound unless it gets really, really out of hand. No, you didn't even see Bregman. I mean, that pitch, I'm sure you saw it, the 3 yeah, 0 pitch. Yeah. I mean, it hits I mean, the back, the, I the padding. I, I know. I mean, this is a major league pitcher. Come on, man. Right. You know, high school pitchers don't miss that bad. Well, you didn't see him go out. In fact, nope. you didn't see him say a thing. He just stood there, took a breath, like, oh, my gosh, that could have hit there's me. A, there a
0: was a little bit of a look, but there was no. That was it. I know. There was no move towards the mound or anything. Nothing.
2: No. Nothing. So I don't think Houston wants to do that. Because they know they were in the wrong yeah, and they want to just do okay let's take our punishment if that's the worst I have to do take I'll deal with it
0: also this morning we've talked about the jazz ESPN report that the jazz players and the pelicans players are going to kneel on the uh, around the black lives matter. Uh, Signage on the floor as the NBA restarts Thursday. Uh, We've been taking a lot of comments on Twitter and on Facebook. And we even had a call this morning. Old school. And I think it's been running... Almost two to maybe two to one, maybe a little less than, but basically two to one. Uh, jazz fans opposed to them doing this, but there are also a lot of uh, I'm here for this, good for them. Uh, there's also uh, the players are ruining sports entertainment, um, and there's a few people. Uh, Jeff posting doesn't bother me one way or another. Uh, so people all over the map on this PK. In I think it's a big story, obviously in the short run. But in the long run, there's such a bond between this team and this tan. It it's hard for me to envision this is some wedge that destroys that.
2: Uh, over the long term, I would agree with you on that, absolutely. And I think it's important for these players now to handle this peaceful protest in a responsible manner. Don't go using inflammatory stuff and in statements. You know, go out and, and make your point and do it in a manner that is... Uh, Approachable and listenable. If that says listen, I don't even know if listenable is a word. But do it. Explain yourself why you did this. I'll have more respect for you if you do that. You did, you're going to do it. That's going to happen. All right. Now explain why you're doing it. What's your intent? What would you like to see changed? I also think it puts the foreign guys in a pickle and i feel bad for them. You know Joe Ingles has been with us for 6 years and he's missed like two or three times. Well there was no doubt in my mind Joe Ingles wasn't calling in today.
0: And Not he didn't happening. call in. He didn't call in today. Typically no. it'd be a Thursday visit, but typically he doesn't do game days either. They don't play very many Thursdays, but they're playing this Thursday. So normally he'd move to Wednesday now maybe he would call
2: happen. in tomorrow. that'd be great, but I would respect his answers and when I think we would we obviously we would address it, but we would ask him questions respectfully. I don't think there's any problem with that and I don't but the foreign guys specifically, if I were a foreign guy coming over here and then you want me to kneel in your national anthem if if myself, I would feel at least to a degree some form of Uncomfortability. Although I would want to support my brothers on my team, my teammates too. It, it's a it's a tricky situation for the foreign guys. Especially. Yeah,
0: and and it, and it probably depends on which foreign guy too. You know, it'd be one thing for Joe or uh, or Bogdanovich. You know, but. The fact is, you might be a foreign guy, but how many people know? Well, Rudy's seven feet tall, so that's a little—it's kind of a one-off right there. But you think of uh, Cephalosia—you know, he was involved in New York, and the and the cops broke his leg, and he got like a four million dollar settlement for that. I mean, the cops were in the wrong, and that's why the city paid that settlement. And he was born in Switzerland, so I get as a foreign guy, it might not impact you, and it, so it, you know, it's not your country, it's not your issue, but it's your issue if the police are paying you the settlement because they broke your leg and you missed a year in the league.
2: Yeah, but that has only happened to one guy.
0: Yeah, right. So, it, But it comes back down to individual situations. All right, DJ and PK, that's a lot of what we've been talking about this morning, and it is all brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Your feedback next
2: and it's all over almost here don't go nowhere
3: let's go the big show it's a big deal with gordon monson and jake scott
0: Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. The
3: Lou Williams incident is just another glaring example. Athletes just have this sense of visibility. Even now, I don't think they fully appreciate the gravity, a lot of them, of this virus, how quickly it spreads, and how, if you have it, there's a chance you don't know that you have it. That's why, you know, baseball's already having problems, and there's a lot more physical contact in football and college football. So I think that these sports need to be looking at what the NBA is doing. If you want to play, create a bubble and see if you can make it work. Because we're down here in a hot spot in Florida, it doesn't feel like it at all. It feels like you're in an entirely a really different country. It really is the only way that sports is going to work until this virus comes under control. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Don't care
0: about all the kneeling, but I can tell you this. The Black Power fist on Donovan Mitchell's t shirt says more than Black Lives Matter. It says, I am out of Utah as soon as my contract permits. Time for your feedback right now, and it is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only three fifty nine dollars per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudisaltlakeCity.com. PK, there have been people saying that about Donovan ever since he took off in the middle of his rookie year, but it has certainly been amplified, and I've heard a lot more of it over these last four months. Why? Uh, I think because of his takes on social media and the responses from people on social media and the assumption from the people who assume Donovan out of here is that all the people responding to Donovan on social media are jazz fans. And the assumption is that Donovan believes they're all jazz fans. And the assumption is that he will be um, so put off by this that uh, he'll take off. So now you're on to three assumptions. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I realize that. (laughs) I don't think they are all Jazz fans. I don't think Donovan thinks they're all Jazz fans. And I also don't think that players think it's going to be all that different wherever they go. I mean, we yeah. d- I just brought up Cephalosia. Well, he was in New York. Now, there's a big assumption that Donovan wants to go back to New York because that's where he grew up because his dad's a Mets executive and he grew up in Connecticut, and we all know those stories, right? And they go back there and play. He talks about how special the Garden is, his rookie year. There are all the kids from the school there in the T-shirts, and they showed him on TV. So, it, basically, he's going to go home to New York. Well, if he's going to go home to New York, then nothing else matters because nothing's going to change the fact that New York is home.
2: And so this Black Fist or whatever, I I didn't see the T-shirt, so I can't respond to it. Uh, And the responses on social media, if that's all true, and yet he still wants to go back to New York, and he wanted to go back to New York before, then none of that crap matters. Right, right.
0: And then how much of it is just jazz fans wanting to cushion the blow against losing and just everything's going to suck always, and then if I believe that, I never believe it'll get better.
2: Mm, yeah, and this, this is, that's too mind-boggling and too depressing to think that a fate is already sealed. I, I just don't buy that, man. I believe Donovan Mitchell is a sophisticated young man and is going to evaluate all options and decide what is best for him. And uh, we'll see what happens when we get to that point. But I don't think anything, any fate-wise, fate what I'm trying to say, is going to be decided now, years before. Does he look that miserable?
0: Uh, he didn't look miserable in the last scrimmage. He looked like he was having a good time, especially when he threw that wraparound bounce pass to Rudy for a three-point play. He seemed to really enjoy that. So, No. He didn't look that miserable, and I would also say that most NBA players don't finish their careers with the organization they start with. There's a handful of them, and I know we had Stockton and Malone here, and those guys were letter carrier didn't off the charts for a lot of reasons. And I was about to say, and still Carl didn't finish his career here. He went to the Lakers for you.
2: I'll talk to Don. Relax. Oh boy, now we're screwed. All right. That's that's I can just I can hear this echo
0: from from Utah to Florida. From from Dennis from Dennis Lindsay to Jay Z. Shining C to no! signing C No.
2: We'll we'll get this squared away. I'll get with Don. Hold on a second. Right. Well you and you and Dennis are busy recruiting high
0: level free agents. Are you sure you can even list too? Well, yeah,
2: because we got like three years. Okay. All right, hands Scott Scotty coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.